Uh, Maddie and I are raising three, <clears throat> three beautiful, wonderful kids, and uh, we're trying to teach them uh, to be thankful. Yeah, anybody been through this as parents or currently in this, trying to teach kids to be thankful and grateful for things? Well, in our house, uh, some days that goes really well, right? And you think, man, we have really nailed this, right? Like Hudson will say, thank you, Dad, for cooking dinner, or thank you, Mom, for helping me out of nowhere, some days. That day is rare, all right? Uh, more often, it goes something like this. We have dessert after dinner. Maybe we get to have ice cream on a rare occasion. And Hudson, uh, after eating his scoop or two scoops or whatever he got, immediately goes to, can I have another, right? Or actually more likely he's going to try to steal his sisters. Um, and because we're good parents, some days we go, Hudson, no, that's not okay. You can't, no, that's enough. That's enough sugar for tonight. You've already had a treat. And this is what the typical response is from Hudson. And I love Hudson, okay? So I'm just, poor kid, you know, he's going to have issues like I do because I'm a preacher's kid. Um, his response is going to be, when we say no to more ice cream, is, I never get to have ice cream. <laughs> I never get to do anything fun. Why is it always, you know, he immediately goes to drama and how we don't love him, and we don't care about him, there's no sweets. And in my more patient moments, I've been saying something like this, Hudson, you are so focused on what you didn't get that you have forgotten all that you did get. Those are my patient moments, the unpatient moments I can't share from the stage. And, and it's, as a parent, it can feel very frustrating, right? Because you're thinking, brother, you, you live a very blessed life. You have more than you can even fathom. And why are you complaining right now? And it can be easy to get frustrated. And then God often, in those moments, reminds me that I am no different when it comes to him. Right? I can look at my life, and I'm, I'm just speaking about me this morning, probably not you, but I can look at my life and go, God, I never get to do this. God, why, haven't, why hasn't this happened? What, what, I, this is not fair, right? And I'm a five-year-old yelling at God about more ice cream in that moment. We are really not that different. When something doesn't go our way, when we don't get the answer from God that we really want, when, we, um, when something goes how we don't think it should, we're prone to respond with, God, why don't you do something? God, you never, you're not faithful. You don't, and we are so prone to forget all that God has done. We're so prone to forget all that God has done and fulfilled. And we're so focused on what he hasn't done yet or, or how things are unfair in our life or how things just don't go the way we think they ought to that we've forgotten, just like Hudson, all of the things that God has done and how he is faithful and how he is the same God and how he doesn't change like we just sang. It's very easy in the course of our Christian life to forget to be lulled to sleep, to, to not remember all that God has done. 
And it's easy to get in the difficulty and think that God's maybe taking his hands off or he's not aware or that, that you know, he, he's got some evil intent for us. And that's simply not true. Simply not true. That's why we sing, great is your faithfulness. That's why we sing, uh, oh rock, oh rock of ages. God is the same God. And so today, that's what we're going to see in our scripture, that God is true to his word. He's going to fulfill his word. He, he, he can't not, right? He is going to fulfill his word. And I hope that as we see that, as we remember that more and more, we see that we would have confidence, faith, a firm foundation, right? We're, we're in the book of Luke this morning. You can turn there, Luke chapter 1. We just started last week. Um, because we just went through the Christmas season and read many of these passages about the birth of Christ, I'm skipping them, all right? Jesus is going to be born, all right? There's the cliff note version of what we skipped over this week. But seriously, here's the short notes. After Gabriel last week comes to Zechariah, tells him, you're going to have a son finally, and his, he's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. You're going to name him John, and what did Zechariah do? Didn't believe. So he's mute, right? After that, Gabriel goes to Mary, and he tells her that she's going to have a child and bear a son. Equally uh, miraculous as John, maybe actually more. And Mary has questions, like Zechariah, but she believes. She has faith that God's word is going to be true. And uh, she goes and she spends time with Elizabeth, and there's confirmation in her heart that this is going to be true. So that's where we skipped this week, but we're going to jump into verse 57. It says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And, and they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came upon all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, speaking about John, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. 
For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let me pray. God, I need you, and, and I confess that here today with our church, God. God, we need you. God, we desperately need you, and God, sometimes our life doesn't make sense. Sometimes things are hard. Some days we question. God, some days we wonder, is this really true? Is this really going to happen? Is, is God really going to come through on his side of the deal? God, I pray this morning as we see you fulfill your word, as we see you be faithful, God, that you would give us confidence, God, just like Zechariah. God, then you would give us boldness because we know that your word is true to share just like Zechariah. God, I pray that you would help me. And I pray that this um, would change us, God. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, I'm not going to reread every verse today. Otherwise, it's going to take too long. Um, but let's look at the first chunk together. Uh, Zechariah, remember, he's been at the temple for his service and he goes and uh, the angel comes to him and tells him, you and Elizabeth are going to have a child. And this is miraculous because they're old in age, they've tried, they've, they've experienced all that heartache, and they finally come to this point, and now an angel is telling him he's going to have a child. And he's got questions. In fact, he has doubt. We know he has doubt. He does not have belief. And so the angel tells him, you will be mute until this word is fulfilled. So Zechariah comes home, somehow he explains that whole deal to his wife uh, through some signs or some writing or something. And it says that in, in the course of time, uh, Elizabeth conceives and bears a child. Luke tells us last week that Elizabeth hid herself, we know for five months, and we know Mary's there for about three months. We can only assume she's, she's kind of hidden, and, and somebody came up and asked me last week about why. And I... Scripture doesn't say, but I, I think in Elizabeth's mind, I think she's been through this a little bit. And she doesn't want to get too excited. <laughs> she doesn't want to start showing. She doesn't start telling people. And so I think there's some fear. I think there's some fear of, is, this, is God really going to come through on this? Is this really going to happen? Yeah, I've been pregnant before, but it's never come full term. You know, I, th I think she's got some fear. And so she's been in hiding I don't think she believes that God's going to keep his word. I think her, her hiding shows us that. But as things go, she comes full term and she gives birth. Luke tells us that at first it seems like only the family knew, right? And, it, and, and slowly the word leaks out, right? She finally believes, okay, I really have a son. He's right here. She finally, the word starts to get out to the neighbors and the relatives, and they are blown away, right? There is great rejoicing, right? Uh, Hudson is playing Little Dribblers. And uh, 
We've got some really good kids on our team, and we've got some kids that are, you know, haven't scored this year yet, right? I think we've got nine kids, and four of them have scored. And there's five of them, including my son, who have yet to score a basket. And there is nothing more that I want as a coach is to end the year having every one of our kids score. Like, just once. So we don't have to, we're not shooting big. We're not trying to get to, like, ten points per game. No, we want to score one basket for those five other kids. And I don't know if you can hear it. I can hear the stands erupting when one of those kids scores. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody shake your head. Why? Because we love an underdog. We love the kid that doesn't get to play the whole whole, whole lot or is not as good as the others. We love it when they succeed, right? We love this story. And that's, this community is rejoicing because Zachariah and Elizabeth have not made a shot their whole life. And finally... They've made the shot. It's not really appropriate. Um, there is great joy at this moment. And they don't, they don't know who this child's going to be yet. They're, they just know Elizabeth and Zechariah are having a kid, and this is good. And we're, we love the story of the underdog, but they are going to be thrilled even more when they find out who this son is going to be. And so, as it were, their custom was eight days in for Jewish baby boys, they would take him to the synagogue, take him to the temple if they were near Jerusalem, and they would be circumcised, as was their custom, and then they would name the child on that day, right? And this, this is kind of funny, because you're like, who gets to name something? Whoever owns it, right? right? Who, why is all these other people trying to name somebody else's kid, right? It seems a little weird. But this happens in our day, let's be honest, all right? You ever picked out a name for a kid and you tell people and they go, oh, how do you spell that, right? There's a lot of opinions when it comes to how we name kids, right? And some people, you know, we name kids family names, right? Because we want to please family. And sometimes, you know, maybe because of bad relationships with in-laws, we pick a name just to stick it to our mother-in-law, right? I don't know, I don't know anybody that's done that, but I'm sure that situation's out there. I'm just kidding. Uh, in this moment, Elizabeth is not trying to stick it to her mother-in-law by naming it John instead of Zachariah. This community has come around and they're trying to name this kid, and she goes, no, 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 no. His name, he will be called John. Everybody's going, who are you? You're just the mom. Let's go ask the dad. Let's go talk to him. So they go to mute Zechariah, who can't say anything, and they're like, your wife is, you know, I don't know how they're communicating, but somehow they're like, what do you want this kid to be called? Because your wife's saying John, but we've never even heard that name in your family. What does he write? He takes a tablet Not he shall be called John. He says his name is John. Very matter of fact. No doubt left in his mind. Right? He has seen God's word play out. I think in this moment, he believes. He sees that God's word is true. The community is rejoicing. He's been mute. His wife conceives. She's had a son. This is the last bit of the prophecy. His name is John. And Luke tells us that immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, 
And it, it means that he was able to hear, he was able to speak. And what was the first thing that came out of his mouth? It says he spoke, blessing God. He spoke. He had seen for nine months God's word be fulfilled piece by piece by piece. And he, as, as he saw that, it produced what in his heart? Belief, faith, confidence, trust that God will fulfill his word. And that's what the angel had told him. You're going to be mute until you see God fulfill his word. And this naming is the last little piece. And as, as he begins to speak, it tells us, uh, in verse uh, 65, it says, And fear came on all the neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. Right? Word spreads quickly. Because it's not just, oh, we got a cool new child named John. No, he begins to tell them what the angel had told him. He begins to tell uh, the people, this, my son, the angel came, he's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. This is Huge news. And this word spreads like wildfire. They are, whoa. And, and that's why they ask this question. What then will this child be? They're asking, okay, what does this mean for us? What, the Messiah, okay, he's coming. He's imminent, right? If this one's preparing the way, then, then there's, the Messiah is coming too. They're pondering, what does this mean? And Zechariah goes on and he, he lays out, so much of what this means. That's what we're going to look at, verse 67 and on. He, he, it, it's written, probably he sang it or he prophesied it in some way, or it, he wrote it down later in some sort of uh, like song-type thing. But here's what he says. Let's look at verse 67. He is going to recount all the ways that God is fulfilling his word. All the ways that God has promised something in the Old Testament, and now he's fulfilling it in John and Jesus, the two miracle babies. Let's look at it, verse 67. It says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Zechariah is, is filled with this, this newfound confidence because he has seen God fulfill his word, right? And, and so he begins to think, and I'm sure he spent nine months thinking about how God was fulfilling his word, what God had promised them in the Old Testament, and now is about to fulfill in the New Testament. And he begins by talking about God's promises to David, what God had promised in David. And God had promised David a lot of things in the Old Testament. The main thing he had promised is that there would be a ruler from the line of David that would sit on his throne forever. This is big news for them. Because they've been ruled over by lots of other people. If the Messiah is coming and they're about to get a new ruler who's going to rule over them forever, this is huge. And so he begins thinking about God's word and what he's about to fulfill. He says uh, that he has visited, he's visited his people. Heaven has come down to earth. This is in Malachi is prophesied that, that the Lord himself would come. 
The Messiah was not just going to be some other man. No, it was going to be the Lord himself. The supernatural is invading the natural. God himself is coming. He's coming to make all things right. He says he's visited and he has redeemed his people. Redeemed is the word um, used to describe uh, purchasing somebody back from a debt that they owed. Right, Paying the price to get somebody out of debt that they owed. So he's saying, the Messiah is coming, God himself is coming, and he's coming to redeem us. He's coming to set us free from bondage. He's coming to release the curse of sin. He's coming to put an end to our death and give us life, right? This is how God is fulfilling his word. He says in verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. It's the imagery of a rhino, Right? It's this imagery of a rhino, and I don't know why this is such a... I don't, did they even have rhinos in Israel? I have no idea to the answer to that question. Uh, but, but, but he said this imagery of a rhino, and I don't know if you've ever stood close-ish to the one at the Lufkin Zoo, anybody? Yes, seen the rhino at the zoo? He is scary, right? I don't want to be in that, that little enclosure with him, right? But the imagery is this, is that... He's raised up a horn of salvation. The horn was a, a picture of strength and driving out enemies. Someone who could, who could just bully his way through and push back the enemies. The Messiah is coming to push his way through our enemies. To push them back. To beat them back. This is a warrior. And for them, so much of this they thought was earthly. They thought, you know what? The Messiah is going to come, he's going to take down Rome, he's going to be a king in Israel, we're going to have material prosperity, all these things. But what do we know? We know that our slavery was not to Rome. Our, our, our enemies were not just earthly enemies. No, we had spiritual enemies. And so, I don't know if Zechariah gets all that he's saying here, but he is proclaiming that the Messiah who's come is strong enough to, is strong enough to uh, push back our enemies. This is, reminds us of what Paul says, that, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God's power is going to be seen not in material uh, possessions, not in military might, not in kingly rulers. No, where is his power found? In the good news that we can be made right with God. Right? Zechariah is pondering this in verse 70. And he, he remembers, he says, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. He's, he's recalling all that God said he was going to do. And so much of it has yet to happen. And he's hearing that, that his son is going to be the forerunner to the Christ. And he's going, wow, God, you are fulfilling your word right in front of us. Look at verse 72. He says, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. First, he talks about how God's fulfilled his word to David and all the promises of the Messiah to David. Now he, he goes back further to Abraham and the promises that God had made to Abraham when he first chose him. 
And what God had promised Abraham is that he would have a land, he would have a people that outnumber the stars of the heaven, and that he would be a blessing that would bless all the nations of the earth. And Zechariah is looking at this going, wow, God's about to fulfill all that he promised to Abraham. And he says first, how is he fulfilling it? He says, it's in showing mercy. God's promises to the people were that he was going to show them mercy. They were not going to get what they do deserve. No, our God is a God who is gracious and kind and compassionate. He's forgiven to undeserving people like me and you. God's salvation was one of mercy. It was not based on our goodness. And he says this was promised to our forefathers. God had always promised that one day he would come and he would save them by mercy. He says that he would remember his covenant. We don't use this word a lot, covenant. Uh, we probably, the closest thing we use for it is like contract. You enter into a contract with someone, right? And what is a contract with someone? If I enter into a contract with Scott, Scott's yawning, so I called on him. Um, just kidding, just kidding. He wasn't yawning. If I enter into a contract with Scott and tell Scott, hey, I'm going to do this for you, and you're going to do this for me, and we both sign the dotted line at the bottom, and we agree, and we're bound by that contract. Well, God, said, it says here that he is remembering his covenant. And we can use the word promise or contract to think about that. That God had, God had covenanted with us as his people. And he had said, these are the things that I'm going to do for you. And these are the things that you're going to do. Right? He had entered into this covenant relationship with us. Now, did we fulfill our side of the covenant? Oh, that's a big silent. Did we fulfill our side of the covenant to walk in his ways, to, to never stray from him, to do what he told us to do? Did we? No. And so God had all the rights, just like Scott and I, if Scott didn't fulfill his side of the contract, I could void the whole thing and say, Scott, you owe me a bunch of money, right? God had every right because we did not fulfill our side of the covenant to avoid it. But no, he doesn't. What does he do? It says he remembered his covenant. He, he, he stood to the terms regardless of our faithfulness. He was faithful to it even when we were unfaithful. No matter how many times we rejected him and tried to turn, he remembered his covenant. He didn't abandon it. He didn't forget his promises. He didn't forget his plan for salvation. He says that he made this in verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. The oath that he swore. He had promised this. We don't, we don't swear nowadays. I, don't, I mean, maybe you do. Maybe you spit on your hand and swear your loyalty to somebody. I don't know. But, but this language is that, that God is committed to this. He is, he is like full, 100% committed to, to keep his side of the bargain. Even though Abram and us do not keep our side of it. And that's why he says uh, to Abram in the Old Testament, and, and we hear about it in the New Testament, that Abraham was saved by faith. He's not saved by his works. He's not saved because he kept his side of the bargain, because he kept his contract, and so God is obligated to save him. No, no, no. Abram is saved by faith, just like we are. 
right? Abram is saved by faith. David is saved by faith. Everyone in the Old Testament who was a God-fearer is saved by faith. Belief in God's word that he would do what he said he will. That's how we're going to be saved too. The only way we can be saved is to believe God at his word. That if we put our faith in Christ, that we can have forgiveness of sins. Like Zechariah doesn't see all of this yet. He just knows God is a God who remembers his covenant. Who has swore an oath to our father Abraham. And now he is delivering us from the hand of our enemies. Look at verse 75. He starts talking about John. I'm sorry, 76. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah is, is speaking in the Spirit, so we know he's speaking the truth, and he begins to proclaim this over his son, that, that John will be the prophet of the Most High. That means that God's silence for 400 years between Malachi and, and the beginning in the New Testament is over. God is speaking again, and this is incredible news for them. It says that he is going to go before the Lord to prepare his ways. John's going to go as a prophet, proclaiming the word of God to call the people back to God. Right? He's going to prepare the way. He's going, and what, we know what he's going to do, because right? we know the rest of the story. He's going to go in the wilderness, and he's going to preach. He's going to proclaim, come back to the Lord. Repent, turn from your sins, and come back. He is preparing the way for the people to hear Jesus as he comes, the Messiah. John is beginning to, it says in verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. John is not the Savior. He's coming and he is pointing them to the Savior. And we see this happen real clearly later in the story. They come to him and he says, no, no, he's over there. The Lamb of God here. John is there to give them knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of their sins. Verse 78, there's this beautiful imagery, he says. The sunrise shall visit us from on high. He's calling uh, Jesus uh, the sunrise that's coming. And so I, I don't, I'm trying to think of a good way to describe this. Um, I guess maybe the freeze a few years ago, anybody without electricity for a few days? Yeah. How long were those nights? If you're cold, can't sleep, don't have electricity, there's no lights. What happens at 4 a.m. when you wake up and you're up? What, what are you longing for? You're longing for the sun to rise so you can see, so you can warm up, so that you can live. And this, this imagery of the Messiah as the sunrise visit us. It's, it's a picture that the people are in darkness. The people are covered and they are oppressed and they, they have no way. They can't go forward. They can't go back because they can't see anything. And they're without hope. They don't know when is the sun going to come up. They don't have clocks. right? And, and this picture, uh, what he's describing is that the Messiah is coming to visit us from on high as a sunrise. To give light to those who sit in darkness. And to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
What a beautiful picture of what Christ comes to do. That without Him, we have no knowledge of salvation. Without Him, it's darkness and we don't know which way to go. Without, without the light, we don't, we don't have warmth, we don't have light, we don't have direction, we don't have purpose. See, see Zechariah sees that God has spent so many years preparing them for this. And he's promised and he's promised and he's promised. And he's finally coming through on his word. And Zechariah is filled with boldness. He's filled with boldness. And I want us to just think about how does this apply to our lives? Great story, Byron. Good job. Now, how does this apply to our life? I, I told the story first about Hudson. And uh, Hudson really does want to experience life to the full, right? He gets, he just he loves, he's passionate, but he gets real upset when the play date gets cut short or he doesn't get the second scoop of ice cream or whatever. And he can get so focused on, on what he didn't get that he's lost sight of all that he did get. How are we like that? We just, I just read so many ways that God has fulfilled his word and yet we can still sit here in our 2023 Christianity and say God I just don't know I'm not real sure yet evidence is still a little bit out are you really God are you really going to come through on your word if that's our mindset today then we're just dwelling on all that we don't have and we're neglecting all that we do God has proven himself over and over and over to be a promise keeper. We're meant to dwell on this, and sometimes the Old Testament is hard because we just, I, I don't know, what does that mean? What are you doing, God? But we're meant to dwell on it so that when we read the New Testament, we see, oh, okay, I get it. I see what you were doing, God. I see how you fulfilled that. I see how you were working. And we're also meant to be like Zechariah today. As Zechariah saw this come true, he went from somebody who was silent to somebody who is spreading news like wildfire. Right? He had so much confidence and belief in what God had done, he could not help but proclaim all that God had done to everybody. Christians, if we really believe this, if we really believe that we have the good news, not just what's good for us, no, we believe we have the good news, it's for everyone, not just us. It's for our kids. It's good news for our neighbor. It's good news for our coworker. It's good news for our teacher. It's good news for every single one of us. We need to understand God's faithfulness so that we will have confidence to go and be bold. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this morning, God, and I thank you for a story like Zechariah's that shows us that you are a promise keeper. God, you are going to be faithful to your word. You will fulfill your promises. God, forgive us where we doubt you. God, forgive us where we are not thankful where we are not content. Forgive us when we lose sight of all that you have done and accomplished, God. God, I pray today that you would fill each one of us with a firm, solid trust, belief, faith, confidence in your word. 
God, then it would result in our mouths being opened and our tongues being loosed to proclaim the good news that the Savior is here. There is forgiveness of sins for everyone. God, forgive us when we don't share that good news. We love you, God. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.